You're listening to Gonzo Gaming, I'm Alex Shaw, episode one, Flawed Gems. What an amazing time, what a family, how did the years go by, now it's only me. Those of you who are familiar with my Gonzo podcast will know how constantly changing and evolving it is. I started out in April 2010 doing short audio articles about gaming and geek culture. By the end of the year, I was doing full-length movie reviews, episodes on Star Wars, Back to the Future, and the Die Hard series. And then I branched out to include the Zombie Survival Guide and World War Z books, and a show on movie cliches. Earlier this year, I was doing quiz shows based on cartoons, music, and commercials from the 1980s. And right before my hiatus, I recorded the first of three at James Bond 007 shows which finally launched last week so now here I am back at the start and without digital cowboys to wear my immense passion for video games ironically Gonzo was begun so I could talk about anything else and now the show can hopefully expand to be all encompassing and include games as well the past four and a half years of DC have been incredible and I've come into contact with some fantastic people, interviewed folks I never thought I'd have a chance to and produced some work I'm very proud of. I'd like to give my warmest thanks to Tony Atkins and Paul Shotton who stuck with me on the show as long as they could. Without their friendship and the dynamic that exists between us on the air, we can't have a show called Digital Cowboys, so that's why the name had to be put to bed. However, for fans of the style, the integrity, the honesty, the humour, the attention to detail that we always prized, my intention is to bring all of these things along to the new shows and by all rights Tony and Leon with their new show Ken and Rince will be doing much the same so we'll all get to keep doing the podcast that we love and you guys get to keep listening everyone's a winner Petit Dejeuner as Plex Shaw says so the short of it is DC style games chat be here and it wouldn't be true to the style without some well-researched, distinguished, and wildly charismatic guests. So please welcome for this week's discussion, Nevermind the Buzz Geeks Blue Team Captain and regular co-host of the wonderful JoyPod podcast presented by Spong.com, Mr. Michael Fox. Oh, hello there. I felt I should do the proper intro like oh, he does normally. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Mike, thank you. Uh, another mainstay of the DC guest stable joins us in the shape of one at Sinan Kuba, often of Big Red Potion. Hello. And now for two guests that I haven't crossed paths with all that often, but I'm hoping to many times in the future. Mr. Will Willeth Templeton, uh, do you want me to mention your TV show? If you would. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. What's it called again? It's called Crunch Time. Thanks very much. <laughs> I'm not sure I can live up to the charismatic label, but I'll do my best. See, I was thinking of you when I said charismatic. Oh, well, um, then in that case, that just puts more pressure on me. Have you still got beard? <laughs> yes. Oh, the beard's, the beard's never going away. Well, that's the important bit. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, actually, t- um, we'll, we'll talk about our shows in, uh, at the end, but basically I'll give you a full couple of minutes to talk about Crunch Time, because it was pretty damn exciting. Thank you very much. 
and uh, of someone we wanted to get onto DC over and over again and I was trying to try work out a, a really good show to get you on but it just never really worked out and eventually it turned out you hosted the DC Community Cast episode 2 Mr. Chris Leg of Time Easton of the Ninja Fat Pigeons and more recently DC Community Cast Chris, hello Oh, hi, hi That's it <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say to that it's, it's, yeah. Well, it's great to finally get you on seriously mate because I've been uh, Thanks for having me on Right, so the subject today is flawed gems, and I thought of this one while playing Alpha Protocol recently. Um, what struck me most was how utterly divided the Twitter responses were when I started talking about should I play this or should I not. Everybody either hates this game with a passion for its many flaws, or overlooks and forgives these flaws because of the better elements of the production. Uh, so first off, I just want to talk about Alpha Protocol as a jumping off point for conversation, uh, because it's exemplary of a flawed gem to me. And uh, then we can lead on to the deeper aspects of this and some other games that spring to mind. So to start with, I think Sinan definitely has. Anyone else played Alpha Protocol? No, I've got a copy of it no. sitting downstairs. It's ready to roll. <laughs> it might, uh, it might get put in the machine. It might get snapped in too, depending on on the discussion. <laughs> on the results today. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. Chris. Uh, no, no, nope. uh, will. No, I'm afraid not. Okay, so just basically me and Sinan for the first 20 minutes talk cooking longer. Now, you know what, let's, Sinan, you and I, we can explain roughly what this game, the experience of playing this game is like. I mean, um, do, do you want to start? Because usually it's always me who, who starts with the descriptions, but uh, I kind of want to change a few bad habits, so uh, go for it. Okay, well, um, Alpha Protocol was released, I think, 2009 or 2010? I want to say 2010. 10. It was um, very early 2010, if anything. Wasn't it? Yeah. Um, like, like post-Christmas thing. Published by Sega, um, developed by Obsidian, who um, listeners might recognise as the people behind uh, Fallout New Vegas most recently, um, Dungeon Siege 3, but more famously as a Bioware B-team with Left um, Winter Nights 2 and... Uh, KOTOR 2. KOTOR 2, yeah. yeah. Um, and if people have played KOTOR 2 and Left Winter Nights 2 may sort of also have feelings about Obsidian in terms of how they approach game development um, which uh, I don't know Alex but how would you describe it? <laughs> um, so it, it, it has its strengths but it's pretty sloppy as well it, they always seem like a weak version of Bioware or a weak version of Bethesda you know actually I have not played uh, New Vegas yet so I don't want to call judgement on that but by all rights no, I didn't hear anywhere near the amount of raving about it as I did about Fallout 3 Right. I mean, I, I guess by their own admission, they came to Dungeon Seed 3 saying they just wanted to make a game that didn't have bugs in it when it launched. That was the one, yeah. I think we, we discussed this on Twitter, didn't we? Like that apparently, Dungeon Seed 3, their most recent effort, a lot less buggy than their usual games, but also lacking in the occasional sparks which they are capable of when they pay less attention to the mechanics. Right. Um, so it's kind of middle of the road. Yeah, um, and I guess Alpha Protocol is one of those... It's probably the, the best example of where... Um, they, I don't know if you want to say sacrifice, but the, there is a balance between, well, there's a really uh, a misbalance, I guess, between um, uh, strong writing and everything else being pretty dire. Interesting, actually, we talk about them being a, a Bioware B team, because we're, we're at the Eurogamer. Did you see the Bioware um, press 
impressive at the Euro, such as it was. No, I don't see everything. It was, it was good. It was mostly self-promotion and sort of showing us videos of the things they'd done before, which were awesome, but they all seemed to be kind of like, you know, like, look at these, these were awesome, this is what we've done before, and Mass Effect 3 is gonna be awesome, and so is Old Republic, and the most interesting thing was they had like a seesaw of, um, it was resources and time. Right. And on the other, on the other side, it was game quality. Basically, the idea being that if you put enough resources in to balance that quality, then it works out. I theorised that if you, if you took Duke Nukem forever, then the resources would crunch downwards on the seesaw, but also the quality of it would also crunch downwards. It would break the seesaw. Um, <laughs> See, I'm, I'm not sure I entirely believe in the seesaw anyway. I think yes. that's, that's a strange. I think it only works if you've got it perfectly balanced. The second it unbalances, it screws up the metaphor. I think you're exactly right with the Duke Nukem metaphors, um, or example even there as well. And you can put so much into, you know, it's not just resources and time. You need uh, experience in there and, you know, I guess just the pure design chops to see it through there. Because, there's, I mean, in the industry there's a term called feature creep, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but it's essentially that um, if you don't have a solid plan for your development, that you can, um, you, halfway through development, think, oh, what if we did this? And what if we did this? And this and this and this? And all of a sudden, you end up with this um, amorphous kind of blob of, of software that you're trying to make that actually doesn't really reflect what you wanted to make in the first place and might not any, be any good in the end anyway. Yeah. Actually, Cute Nickham's one of the ones that, that could have ended up on our floor gems. Has anyone actually played that through to conclusion? Has anybody been mad to enough to do it? I don't know, it just it doesn't seem like a flawed gem. I mean, it seems more like a polished <laughs> <laughs> See, I, um, I have this, this thing in my head, at, and I've, talk, um, I've talked about it on Joypod before, it's what point in the creation of a game do you sort of reach that tipping point? Where does it come that you realise that this game that you've been working on for such a long time isn't everything you dreamed, isn't everything you wanted it to be, but fuck it, we've got to keep going. Mm. I think you'd ask, you could ask so many developers and they'd tell you that the game that they shipped isn't that, even if it's amazing. That's funny you said you say that with regards to Alpha Protocols. I remember with the joystick review, there was a comment left by one of the, or allegedly by one of the developers, who said that he basically knew with about, and I'm, I'm misquoting him probably, but I think it was months to go that this game was going to be rubbish and that it was a, pretty much a disaster from the beginning because of Sega's uh, meddling, uh, which was interesting. But um, yeah, so these, love the word uh, meddling there. It's got <laughs> visions of, the, of Sega as an old crone just coming around, going, "Oh well, that's not right, and that needs to be changed." And oh, the focus group says that needs altering. It's just like, oh, piss off. See, I was thinking of the more like Dick Dastardly, literally setting booby traps around the office. Um, <laughs> Monday morning, go in, start ready, do, do a nice bit of coding. Keyboard explodes in your face. <laughs> nice. Sega runs off cackling. Um, a question. Sinan, were you a hater? It's, I, I'm getting from you what you're just saying, that you really thought that uh, Alpha Protocol was a, ha- a piece of rubbish. I saw the good in it, but I thought it was a, it was trash. Um, and, yeah. uh, I, I, you know, there's a point where... I mean, to, to better explain the game as well, it's, a, it's an espionage game, action espionage RPG, as they described it, which so is just- interesting. Isn't it described on the front cover as the espionage RPG? Well, yeah, because there's none other. Because <laughs> there's not another one been made ever. Wasn't there? There was actually going to be another one called The Agency or something. Was actually going to be an MMO? Yeah, that was canned. And I don't think it's yet been canned, but the um, oh. the people behind it are pretty threadbare at the moment um, on the yeah. Sony 
uh, Sony Online side. Um, it was a good idea. It was like two different mercenary agencies, like one of them a bit more scrappy, one of them a bit more sort of 007, and uh, uh, it, was, it, it was a non-fantasy MMO, for God's sake. Just at least get a few more out there, even if it's free to play. No, it looks like it's, it's, been, looks like it's been killed, unfortunately, as of oh. March 2011. But, I mean, it's a great idea for people like us who like really like the idea. But as soon as you put that in a public setting, it falls apart completely. Because you know, as much as you might be trying to sneak and you know enter this web of subterfuge, you've got uh-huh. as just as many people who just want to game the system and uh, mm. you know just have grief, I guess. And so, yeah, I think that's one of the reasons we've not seen that many of them. Well, if it's free to play, doesn't that attract a professional crowd of mature adults? <laughs> No? Okay. <laughs> You're up. Well, let's fine. see what happens with DC Universe Online. Hey? Yeah. Okay, right. My uh, experience of Alpha Protocol, um, I think somebody said that you have to treat it, I think it was Combine actually, said that you have to treat it not like an action game, because boy howdy is it not a goddamn action game. Um, it's it's a cover-based shooter. In fact, it's, it, it, it would appear to be a cover-based shooter, but it's almost like someone's drawn you a picture of a cover-based shooter, and all the heads look like penises. It's It's... <laughs> It's just, every time you ask dude to get into cover, it's like you're grappling with him, and he's standing up and then getting back down again. He's not entirely sure. Maybe the cover works. Maybe it turns into a flower. I don't know. It's so <laughs> janky, and uh, it's almost not worth it anyway, because basically the shooting mechanics are, well, but you can shoot someone in the face, and it'll go, I, I don't think you hit him there. <laughs> Seriously, I-, I actually really did. Well, try a few more times. He's got a few more hit points left. And... um I remember tweeting, if this had a good solid engine like Unreal 3, then, it, you know, if it had started with a good engine and then put RPG mechanics onto it, that would have been fine. Found out later, it actually is Unreal 3. They've got no goddamn excuse. Um, but it, it, it depends on what you uh, invest all of your uh, talent points in, and, and you could, uh, what I ended up doing was, uh, m- investing in stealth just makes your enemies more and more blind, and you can just walk in front of them and they will see you and then forget you, or, you know, you just run up, fight them, and then no one else will see you because they, you just keep reducing their cone of vision and kind of breaks the game. And, and that was the only good thing about the game, is um, the fact that you can give your guy an insanely huge beard. And run around Sounds like my kind of game. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 can, you can have these uh, really long, involved conversations just like Splinter Cell, but with a massive beard and wearing a backwards baseball cap. Right, um, so, so let's jump back all the way to the start of the show, where we yeah. said, we're going to be discussing flawed gems so for you <laughs> Alex the, the very Monster, definition yeah. of a flawed gems is all about facial hair and hats I am of course kidding now what's actually really good about this is the is the speech trees it's um it's kind of like mass effect in that you can you know you can give particularly aggressive answers or you can be, be particularly constructive but the, the thing is that you get like four seconds to answer each time and each time it keeps switching around the, the type of response you have usually the y button is a bit more aggressive mm. but you know sometimes you can be suave sometimes you can be professional and but depending on who you're talking to if you're suave and professional with someone who only respects you being aggressive it's not going to get you any points so it's not like you're just um, going for like being I'm just going to be aggressive each and every time it makes you actually think about who you're talking to and what 
approach to take with each person, which I really haven't seen in many other games. I mean, I suppose the only equivalent would really be the Bethesda games, when, when you're actually sitting and staring at each response and thinking, okay, well, what, what does that mean? But even then, you've got ages to sit there and stare, so there's a certain frisson with the, doing it in... It's got like four seconds in a little countdown bar. However, somewhere around the middle of the game, you start to go, you know what? Each time I, I impress someone by being suave, when I should be suave to someone who respects you being suave, it ups your uh, ability with that particular faction of that person it gives you a little bit of a perk you find that you just end up wanting to be a dick to see how it makes <laughs> see how it makes people react and I think it's it's only for a while does that really work and I, I kind of liked many aspects of the game and I kind of liked the way the story was going but the actual mechanics of it were rubbish and by the end of the game whenever it actually requires you to beha- behave as though the game is a, is a, a fast paced well constructed action game it falls apart because it can't keep up with itself and you find yourself screaming at it, going, if this were Gears, I wouldn't be dying over and over again. To that end, ultimately, the game is a failure. But it, I still want to recommend people play it, because it has this, this this one aspect to it, which I think will turn up in later games. And that's really what I'm, I think kind of the, the, the basis of Floor Gems are, that while they may not necessarily be for everyone to play, if you want to see what's going to be working in later games, or maybe what will never be in other games, but it's just this one little product, this one oddball little game, wait for a year or two until it's down to a fiver and pick up one of these flawed gems. And that, that's what this conversation is all about. It's the rejects, the people that didn't quite make it. The raggy that- dolls of the video game world. Yeah. Is that why you'd recommend it then? So someone could kind of get in on the ground floor of when a mechanic was introduced? Because I think I'd probably usually recommend that people... Wait until it gets good. <laughs> exactly. Wait until someone takes that idea and makes it into yeah. something worth playing instead of something that is just wrapped around... That one yeah. mechanic and isn't. So you're saying when Kill Switch came out and it was the first one with a third-person shooter with cover mechanics in it, um, to to say you know what this probably isn't really worth your time. And a couple of years from now, a little game called Gears is coming out. That's what I did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't disagree with you there. But uh, yeah, anyone else? What what are your approaches to this kind of game? I, I think the, it's not actually a flawed gem though. I just think it's a bad game with something that's. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's the difference, isn't there? That you is say potato, Alex says potato. No, no, because one of my questions is, what is the difference between uh, a flawed gem and a, just a plain bad game with one or two good bits to it? I mean, what, where does where's the line drawn? Is it all perception? It's how much you can forgive, I think. Mm. That depends on the person, because there's a lot of people who just wouldn't stand for it. Well, and that's exactly it, though. I mean, you know, one person's flawed gem won't be another's. There's, if you know, if you can, just because it's a flawed gem for you doesn't mean it's it's universally needs to be accepted as that. I mean, you if, if it speaks to you in a certain way, if you can forgive certain things for one mechanic or one uh, or a certain set of things that it does that really speak to you, then I think that's what defines it as flawed but worth playing. But I definitely think that has to be subjective. I think it is subjective, but I think for me that the line has to be ultimately something to do with the the narrative because the the next game I played immediately after that was a game called Quantum Theory, which I picked up for one pound thirty four, brand new and wrapped, thanks to Poster Bargain. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and um, th- th- it actually had it's a cover based gear style shooter, very gear style, like literally gear style. It's aping the style in the manner. I think someone equated it to uh, watching uh, a teenager copy someone else's answers for an exam and still getting all the answers wrong. 
<laughs> the mechanics of it are actually a little bit more, more sound than uh, Alpha Protocol. When you, when you get into cover, you'll get into cover. When you shoot dudes, you shoot dudes. But the game itself was so hollow and such a grim experience that I, I couldn't stand playing it. So even though it, it actually worked more, there was nothing to really commend it. So it was the opposite of Alpha Protocol. It had the mechanics down, but there was nothing else. Um, so, I mean, ultimately that should have been a flawed gem, but it was just a polished turd. I can understand that. I mean, playing something like Army of Two, for example, like, on a kind of a base mechanics level, like, that works enough, but at the same time, I don't want to be those guys. Like, just pretending to be those people, and that's that's what I'm doing when I'm playing games. I'm pretending to be the people that I'm playing as. Mm. It's a very kind of role-playing experience, whatever that makes me. These guys are dicks. I don't want to be them. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there's no well, again, that, that that is a big difference as well between a bad, you know, a badly put together game and a game that's got a crappy script or a game that's got characters that you, you know, you, you have no passion to play as or you, you have no interest whatsoever in. Mm. You know, a, a, a bad game is a is a bad game for you know it could be any number of reasons, but a broken game is a broken game, and you can say exactly why it's yeah. fucked. Sitting on that bench, waiting cause I'm tense Going down, feeling like my life is almost over I don't know what to say, haven't made my way But I'm not gonna be a lost soldier Where have I been? I ain't got no friends I don't know where life is gonna be One game that actually does bring to mind that was one of my favourite games of this year it was actually released many years ago but I talked about it at length uh, in a show a couple of uh, months ago Far Cry 2 um, and that's a game that a lot of people it really rubbed up the wrong way straight away because they didn't like the rusty weapons they didn't like the um, checkpoint systems and they didn't really play it long enough to get into the to accept the various things you had to do to get into the swing of it and it's certainly not for everyone it's but like I you described me yeah I was going to say the same thing <laughs> did you both really dislike that game? I just couldn't get into it at all yeah. yeah, I'm the same. I played, I mean, admittedly, again, I didn't play it very long, so I didn't play that length of time you say is necessary to kind of get to grips with it, but yeah. I felt like it wasn't telling me enough about how it worked. Mm. So I just, you know, I got into my first big firefight, my first kind of main objective after going and finding my first partner, and I just had no idea how I was supposed to attack yeah. it, which I suppose speaks to me as well. I mean, my personal, uh, I like to be told, a specific set of objectives like I, I tend to get confused by choice right and so, it's open worlds and exactly it's just it's too much choice is kind of paralyzing it's like well if I if I make one choice I'm not actually choosing what I want to do I'm eliminating six other things that I could do and now will never yeah. get to 
Um, and I think that fortunately they only ever make you do the same four things over and over again. <laughs> so just just try a different thing the next time. I'll load it back up, I guess. But I mean, I, I really do recommend it. Uh, but the, what you guys said about playing characters that you really didn't like, Zantiriad uh, from Game Burst, when they were talking about the game, he only played it for about a couple of hours because he just did not want to play an utterly execrable mercenary in Africa because there, there was nothing appealing about the character at all and there's, there, there is nothing to the character whichever one you play you could select one from uh, like a list of ten at the beginning and the, the other nine are your buddies throughout the game but you never say anything or, or, or do anything which is character based um, but then again neither does Gordon Freeman so he doesn't like Half-Life either <laughs> <laughs> I love Half-Life too, but my god is it's, uh, <clears throat> it's Gordon Freeman a non-character anyway another game I played uh, fairly recently and really really quite liked um, and was surprised at liking was Bloodstone uh, the 007 game I'm probably mm. going to talk about that on the Bond uh, show everyone had been going on about uh, the Wii version of Goldeneye and when I finally played Goldeneye after Bloodstone after playing a third person Daniel Craig seeing Daniel Craig you know capping fools and beating the crap out of them in, in third person and, and then just racing cars around and you know, having gorgeous HD adventure while it was a fairly straightforward run through of the same mechanics as Splinter Cell Conviction only without the playing around in the dark I mean literally like you punch a guy and that gives you a free shot and so you punch two guys, you get two free shots. Yeah. So that, but there's a rhythm to it. So you, punch, you, you run through, you punch a guy, then you shoot his mate, then you run through, you punch two guys, and then you shoot their two mates. And it's a really, you know, it's a good way of just getting a rhythm of running from one scene to the next. And once you get that rhythm, you really get that there's a pace to the game, which is great. But if you just keep trying to do the whole thing like a cover-based shooter, you're not going to have much fun. But then I played an, uh, an SD version of a Call of Duty game with some elements of the original N64 Goldeneye, one of my favorite games of all time. It just felt horrible. I wouldn't even call the the Wii version of Goldeneye a flawed gem. Everybody likes it, except for me. But uh, Bloodstone, very few people really sing its praises. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm looking at it here on uh, on its Wikipedia page, and it's got some all right scores. You know, it's got between fives and sevens, which is not. A, a, it doesn't say that it's a terrible game. Yeah. Well, Bloodstone's actually a game that I have in my hand right now that Sinan actually sent me a m- few months ago. Like, this is a game that I think most of us here are willing to make sure other people play. It's, yeah. Uh, I completely I, forgot it, that. Yeah. <laughs> Sinan, what did you think of it? Well, actually, it's a game I followed really closely last year because I um, got sent to pretty much every single preview event it was, um, that, w- that was there for it. Um, I thought it was a case of missed potential. Mm. For me, it was everything on paper was right about that game. The idea of you know bringing in driving and shooting and trying to meld them together and you know mm. your bizarre experience there. The the idea of really um, rough combat. Oh, it was one of the last bizarre creations games, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the last bizarre creation. And I, I went to the studio a month before it closed, oh. which was kind of, kind of heartbreaking. But yeah, the the the, the, the fisticuffs being fisticuffs. What a posh words I'm using. Um, being really <laughs> Sorry, physical and um, you know the way the camera was done with that was was superb but it's just put it all together and was ended up being a really standard game and mm. I didn't have anything bad to really say about it just that it didn't really impact me in any way I suppose it's another example of it doing you know one thing well and kind of building a game around it I mean it's that mechanic that you said before that is kind of splinter cell-ish of yeah. the um, you know earning your instant kills and yeah. that I mean that's Essentially, all you do in every level is, is try and work towards getting that because it's so satisfying when you do. This also may uh, relate to the fact... What was I saying the other day? I can't remember. I was talking about AAA games, and Mike Phillips uh, said, I would say that that was a AAA game. And I said, well, what's an A game? 
because ultimately there, there, there's you know everyone talks about like Halo and Gears coming out there, all the AAA games, but no one ever really starts atta- attaching the letters to all these other games that come out and struggle for for a place in 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 the market. Ultimately, you know, if it's if it's Bayonetta, then then brilliant, and if it's Alpha Protocol, then not so brilliant. Both from Sega. And th- actually, speaking of which, Vanquish came out from the same team as uh, Platinum, didn't really hit the same heights. That's because it uh, sucked. Ah, but you see, I really liked it. There's I another really flawed gem. Yeah. Ah. Why do you like it, Sinner? Because, um, different, I suppose the, the difference between it and Bloodstone is whilst it's built, you could say Bloodstone is built around that one mechanic, but mm. it's kind of not. There's other elements there. And that one mechanic is kind of threadbare, really, once you get used to it. With Vanquish, it's built around, again, one mechanic, the kind of sprinty dash, mad combat thing. Yeah. Um, but, that just lost the whole game and you can get sucked into it and keep trying to get better at it and it doesn't really matter that the rest of it is kind of silly, pure old Gears of War nonsense. It's, you just get sucked into the combat and really enjoy it. Uh, Mike, why did you not like it? I just couldn't get my head, my, uh, my head into it. I didn't get on with the controls. Um, there was far too much going on the, in the screen for my old brain to try it. <laughs> To try and comprehend. I don't know, man. I think because I'm getting older, and if it's not Jet Set Willy, my brain just goes, no, screw it. Did you um, play Bayonetta? Cause I miss it. I yeah, miss that's, it. that's the I'm thing, though. I fucking love Bayonetta. I think it's amazing. Did you just feel more in control, then? You bet. I, I, th- I think so. I mean, for me, theme is a very important thing in the games that I play. And if it's, you know, generic third-person shooter... You'd get to play a Space Marine, though. I don't give a fuck about Space Marines anymore. <laughs> He's I got ca- special I cared, about, I cared about Space Marines when I was 14, and I was throwing <laughs> dice at them on a table. And now, not so much now. I could not give a rat's ass about them. That's why well, I don't... they're not unique, are they, you know? I mean, you can play them in any game you care to mention. Yeah. You know, it, it, you, you can put... You, you could pull a, sh- a game off of any gamer's shelf in the entire country, nay, the entire world... And there's a hideously good chance that it's going to be something Space Marine-esque. And it'll star a man named Johnny Template, and he's got a shaven head and looks grim. Yeah. But if he did have hair, it would be brown. Even good games are guilty of that. I mean, even Mass Effect has an I was just about to say, yeah. yeah. Male Shepard in that is as generic as it gets. Yeah, That's why I always play Femme Shepard. Let's not get into that just yet. I think that might be another episode for you. Um... (laughs) However, no, that's the thing. That ultimately, uh, these games that we could possibly class as, as uh, B games or even C games are from companies that are like, you know, everything, all our hopes rest on this. If this doesn't make us a billion pounds, we're finished. And that's things like, well, Bloodstone, let's face it, Blur, um, Split Second. You know, if, if they don't, you know, set the world on fire. And ultimately, if all they're doing is a decent mechanic that doesn't, isn't really any particularly different from anything else, they're not gonna make huge, huge amounts of money. I'm thinking, uh, Barnet Commando here that, you know, would grin was shitting out so many games around that point that they just, they weren't paying attention to, like, just, just work on one game for a long time, get it really good. So, um, so they did Terminator Salvation and the Bionic Commando Rearmed and, and then Bionic Commando came out. They were doing what? They did one other game as well, didn't Wanted. they? 
wanted, yeah, and they were doing working on some sort of Warcraft thing or Final Fantasy. No, it was a Final Fantasy game, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm just um, too many projects all at once, and that was well, that's a completely different scenario. But ultimately, they're, they're these games that belong to studios that now don't exist anymore. A lot of these flawed gems that we're talking about. Fortunately, Ubisoft are still going, um, and they weren't putting too much on Far Cry 2. And there's in fact a Far Cry 3, which I'm well looking forward to. But um, B games, so you know, let's 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 pour a forty on the street for the B games. Mm. That's interesting. You got me thinking about you know kind of B games from bigger developers because I mean mm. I'm, I'm looking at my game rack as we're talking to kind of see okay which ones are the heavy hitters you would expect me to have and which ones are the ones that maybe you know I, I might have picked up cheap and really enjoyed. And the one I'm coming back to is the Rockstar table tennis game, yeah. which kind of fits into that mold. I mean it. It does one thing very well, and that's all it does. But it just yeah. kind of disappeared. I mean, nobody ever talks about it when they're talking about Rockstar because, you know, understandably, they've got these huge franchises around them. Yeah. Um, it's completely different from every single one of their other games. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether it's, it's truly relevant because I don't know whether I'd call it necessarily flawed, but it definitely fits into that niche of having, you know, one thing that it does well, which so many flawed, gem, flawed gems do. I think, hmm. is it maybe that like what I would consider a flawed game at least, does one thing very well and then maybe tries to overreach and do other things that are a little bit beyond what it should do? Case in point, Alan Wake. I was Which just looking down my list. next to table tennis on my rack. <laughs> I was looking down my list and I was going, right, let's find a game which is uh, I really didn't like, even though a lot of people did. Now, was it Knock on Wood? Really, really liked this yeah, game. Yeah. yeah. I think Tony quite liked it as well. And it is a divisive game in that a lot of people were really just nonplussed by what it achieved in the eyes of other people. Because it, it seems like a, a Silent Hill style game. I suppose it was so long in development that enough games came along with very similar ideas that sort of came and went. And uh, in, in this case, similar to Duke Nukem, the, the amount of development time kind of uh, drowned it. Yeah. I think it was a, another case where I'd sort of say it was mispotential, where when you remember when we first saw the game, everyone was thinking this is going to be this really different game that's going to be more mm. about horror, horror than anything else. And then it ended up being more generic than I was expecting. Yeah. Um, a weird yeah. sort of tongue-in-cheek, Twin Peaks kind of horror, yeah. but with throwing si- a bit of Silent Hill overtones to it. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, but it was it was just not the game I was expecting, which I think maybe that's where a lot of people were coming from with their... But everyone talked about it's it's one mechanic, the, you know, get things in the light and then shoot them over and over again, and you found yourself doing it over and over again. Yeah. Right. That was the only bit I liked about it. Good job you got to do it so much. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, though. I think is after a certain amount of development time, is you can't live up to the expectation people have, you know. And I mean, Duke Nukem Forever, for example. I mean, if it had been released just as it was, without it ever being known about, it just came out when it did, and it had had the usual market cycle, it it would have been, I think, a completely different reaction. Um, I mean, it could have been better, it could have been worse, but the fact that it came out when it did, it had this, you know, 10-year expectation laid upon it that it would never be able to leave up to, even if it was amazing. It never would have been able to be the game people thought it was in their heads. Who's played it um, all the way through, or a lot? Alan Wake. No, 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 Duke Nukem. Oh, I played it halfway. Taken in a vacuum, imagine that none of this development stuff uh, had happened. Score Duke Nukem in terms of what other kind of games it's like. What I played in the demo, from what I've seen of it, it just seemed as generic as it gets, only with some really horrible, grotty, smarty jokes in there. In a vacuum, I'd score it worse than oh, outside the vacuum, because at least outside the vacuum, it makes some self-deprecating um, jokes. 
Yeah. So, on its own, it's more, it's, it's closer in tone to, uh, say, quantum theory, just this grotty shooter. It's just a, nothing, there's nothing good about the game, apart from when it takes the piss out of itself, and even then it kind of gets it wrong. There is one studio who's actually somewhat accomplished now at making games which sort of, you know, really impressive and really lovely and are somewhat generic in their actual gameplay and unappreciated in their time, uh, Ninja Theory. I'm thinking Heavenly Sword and Enslaved here. I, I fucking love um, the, uh, well, specifically the whole of uh, Heavenly Sword, but all of the design and discussion and, 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 and acting in uh, Enslaved, and all of that was really, really good, but the actual mechanics of the game itself would just sort of jump from here to there. Very, yeah. cor- It looked like a giant open world, but it was actually just a series of corridors. I, I, would, I would watch Enslaved, but by the time I, I got... I think two thirds of the way through, maybe somewhere between half and two thirds, and it just began to wear on me. It's like I, w- I want to know more about these characters, but I'm not doing anything new. You know, it's just it, maybe that's yeah, it. it began to wear on. Maybe just that, just having to do the same thing over and over again in these flawed gems, kind of you lose that initial burst of generosity and, and, and feeling like you know, of well-being for the game. Because basically by the end of Alpha Protocol, when I had this dude sniping at me and throwing grenades, what appeared to be like half a mile with pinpoint accuracy to be able to kill me, and I had to run to a door, turn my back to him, pick a lock while he was shooting me in the back so that I could get up and get a sniper rifle and shoot him, I just got cheesed off. I was like, this yeah. fucking game. Eventually, I exploited a glitch, hit in a corner where he couldn't shoot me and shot him in the face enough times but I wasn't supposed to do that and uh, I was basically breaking the game because the game was broken in the first place so it, it, it lost any goodwill that I generated for it there's a perfect example of that in my kind of king of flawed gems is Assassin's Creed 1 is yeah. that I absolutely loved that at first uh-huh. and I got halfway through and I was just it was the same Doing stuff the same over and over and over, and over again and it was yeah. still the same get fun cool, mechanic get running blah 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 it was great but it was the same it was always the same thing and it was just as fun every time but I just wanted yeah. it to develop and it never did and mm. it, like I mean the sequels fixed that almost completely yeah um, but the first game was an exercise in kind of tempering my love for it it was like okay i know this is good but i I can't sit here for like and with any other game uh, i can you know sit for 10 hours and just play it constantly i have to sit there play for an hour and then come back to it again in a couple of days mirror's edge similarly really really loved all the running and the jumping and the the stuff and every time we got inside i was just like oh this is not your environment faith for god's sake yeah i can see the bit just climb up there do i have to do this and it just it started to wear me down it was suck because it's it was such a bold move I loved the, the, the notion of Mirror's Edge, and it was so exciting to start playing it, and the, the sense of momentum, and do it, finally playing an FPS where the whole point of the S was just desert, dispensed with, and it was a first-person runner. Um, but it just it wore me down, and pro- there's probably not going to be a sequel for a long while. There'll be it's a shame. it will I mean, come back, but it will be a long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could well you compare that again to Assassin's Creed. I'm glad you brought them up so closely because I, I always talk about them in tandem because. It's free running. Well, it, well it's, it's more than that. It's, it's because Assassin's Creed and Mirror's Edge, kind of in the same vein, should never really have got further than that. One of them did, and the other one didn't. And I can't really understand why, because you look at Assassin's Creed 2, fix absolutely every problem that Assassin's Creed 1 had, laid the foundation for some fantastic games, to the point where now they can safely release one a year, and I'll still buy them because they're still excellent, even though I know it's kind of exploitative. 
Um, whereas Mirror's Edge just kind of floundered and didn't really do anything. And yet I know that it would have exactly the same development cycle. But they'd make a second, it would fix all of the problems, and it would be fantastic. Yeah. The thing with Mirror's Edge floundering, is, I think, is a tiny bit overblown. Well, I, was, I did a lot of research into the games. So I had to write a few articles on it. And um, people don't realize this, but it sold 2 million copies, which is pretty decent for a new IP. I mean, yes, it was EA, but I think um, Dead Space only sold a, a bit more. Um, I was going to bring up Mirror's Edge as my example, and I think I think it kind of fits very neatly alongside the other examples we've talked about in terms of having this this one mechanic, um, or at least this one concept, which is executed really well, and then there are other things that just bring it down. I think in Mirror, with Mirror's Edge, it's really obvious to spot the things that are bringing it down. You know, the, the levels where it, were, they were more puzzly were just didn't fit, for example, and the story didn't fit, and there were a lot of things that just didn't fit with that that vision. Um, but in terms, I have another example which I think is a bit different in terms of rather than having one mechanic which is brilliant, I think this was one game which just had one thing which ruined it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it would be brilliant, and that would be um, I'll just let that train pass. Sorry, yeah, window so a tiny exact- bit open. Because I just listened to the 50 characters episode, and when you were talking about faith, you had to do exactly the same yeah, thing. Exactly. I left it in because it was atmospheric. It worked, yeah, kind of worked. <laughs> um, and that game would be uh, Metro 2033, oh, yeah. which I can see why people love it. I can, you know, there's it's very atmospheric. It's really different. It's proper survival horror. I couldn't get more than about two or three hours into it because and it's a really simple flaw. The difficulty, the difference in difficulty between easy and normal is so huge that it just makes it, if you're having problems with one, you're not going to be able to play the other and, and get on with it. So I was finding it far too easy on easy. Um, couldn't, you know, there's no point really continuing with it because it's not survival horror anymore if I'm not having any problems with it. And then normal was just ridiculous um, <laughs> off the scale. And it was, I, I thought to myself, well, that's really subjective. No one else is going to have this problem. And as soon as I wrote a blog post about it, I got a number of responses saying, no, I had the same thing. So, um, Really bizarre, but I, I'm glad it's getting a sequel, Last Light, and um, I think there are there are games like that where there's just this one thing which just kind of ruins the overall experience, but otherwise it's brilliant. Basically, 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 basically. Um, uh, and, and, and a bit more um, um, uh, what um, uh, well you know if, if it's it's um, and um, uh, um, and uh, um, um, basically basically basic Uh, well, we actually sort of brought it up earlier as wanted. I, for some reason, that just clicked with me. I know it's a, it's not a very not a good game, but um, for some reason, I played the single player about four times and got a thousand achievement points on it. And I don't, <sighs> I don't really know why. I think I really like. I think it had the core mechanics were very good. Just the story was not good. <laughs> the story was awful, and it was only about four hours long. Uh, which is not a plus if you you bought it. I luckily I rented it, so I, I think maybe I was a bit more charitable to it. Every time I finished it, I thought, oh, I could just do it the next you know, next difficulty up and get that achievement, and then go up and get go back and get all the collectibles, and then and I then I'd got a thousand points on it, which is probably only the 
third or fourth game I've done, the other ones were just, the other games were just like play through the story and you get all of them. There's another which I know a lot of people don't like is the Force Unleashed series. I've got that on there as well, yeah. Yeah. I thought the first one was an excellent game. Yeah. Uh, was start, you know, it felt like Star Wars, you were running around with a lightsaber, which felt like a lightsaber, and you got to cut people's arms off. It felt like good Star Wars, there was very little politics oh, yeah. in there. Yeah, and it did, I get annoyed when physics isn't right in games. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was very happy that if you chucked uh, something at, uh, out of the Starship window, it opened, people got sucked out, and then the last doors came down. Yeah. So nice. <laughs> and when, like, you chucked one stormtrooper, he'd grab hold of his mate, that yeah. was good. <laughs> And then kiss well, sensuously <laughs> <laughs> while tumbling out into space. Never let go. <laughs> Carry on. I mean, it had problems. Like some of the map environments were were a bit busy, and there were a few times you had to jump, do some very accurate jumping, which was not its strong point at all. Was it like constantly repeating um, uh, the the same quick time event? Like if oh yeah, that's like, the, the same four button presses you had to do for every like the boss encounters and like if you screwed up they'd kick you over you'd lose a bit of energy you just get up and do it again and it's like oh really? literally yeah. just do it again? yeah that wasn't that was I guess that's that's another major flaw it had but it's still I think I think flawed gems for me of the games that you have flaws but I'm still you know the, the I'm still enjoying it mainly I think that's the the thing and the plot of that first game especially with the endings though I really love those yeah but yeah, I think I can overlook a lot of stuff if the story is good enough because it makes me want to keep playing even through the, the terrible sections like the boss battles. Yeah. Um, but then again, you mentioned with Wanted like that the story wasn't that good, but then you, you kept playing through. But of course, I mean, how many times did you play that through? Uh, I think probably about three or four times. And at that point, I mean, the story must just become irrelevant at that point. I mean, at that point, you're just playing it because you enjoy the pure play of it. You know, it's not you're not finding anything new. Yeah, uh, story-wise, at least. Yeah, I think there's some games, if they have you know, bad um, play mechanics, if they've got a very good story, I can overlook the play mechanics. If they've got a very good play mechanics and uh, very short, which was which wanted was only about three hours, mm. four hours. And have a bad story, you can overlook the bad yeah, story, because at least it's the, short. Yeah, and you <laughs> can skip skip, skip the cutscenes, you don't have yeah. to actually... Uh, just run through, shoot people, curve bullets. And Unskippable cutscenes in this day and age, by the way. Enough with cheers, Kate. Thanks, bye. It, yeah. <laughs> More than that is checkpoints before cutscenes. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> okay, right, but... No, go on. I'm not going to get no, no. into a rant about that. <laughs> go, no, go for it. I won't rant. Well, okay, so there's a point in Gears 1... Uh, Gears 1, Gears 3 in the first act... Um, where there is an unskippable cutscene, and it's it's like maybe 15 seconds long, but they just they all go down a ladder, and then you decide where to go. That's it. That's all that happens. But then the bit after the ladder, everybody splits up, which means that if you're playing on the harder difficulties, it becomes essentially twice as hard, because only two people have to die for it to be game over, because right. everybody in one section has to survive until you meet back up again. Um, so basically, ideally, you'd want it to just happen after the cutscene before you split up. Exactly. Yeah. And then what happens, as it is right now, you die, and then you go back, and then there's an unskippable cutscene where you all go down the ladder for no reason. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can make a different choice, but still, it's just... Badly placed checkpoints really irritate me, but that's not the purview of this, so... <laughs> that was a rant? 
That was mild irritation. <laughs> it, I want a better it, rant next time. It, it, it was a curtailed rant because I knew it wasn't relevant. Seriously, if you, if you actually want to really vent, just, just, just tap me lightly on the shoulder and just whisper in my ear, I got a vent, man. I'll, I'll just give you a flow. my things. Chris, no, if you ever do a story I, about spoilers, get me on and I'll go for six hours. Okay. I could have a rant about um, Assassin's Creed. Go. Okay. The storyline is the biggest pile of bollocks that's ever been written. It's just a damn, it's a damn brown book. Just put together. Well, no, it's better research than a damn brown book. Well, okay, yes, because he gets all his historical dates completely wrong, but out by like 500 years or something, which is, fortunately I had to watch the first film, but, um, so I, the first assessment, I like the actual gameplay. Yeah, I, when I get lost in the, the old world, you know, the, past bits it's like oh this is really fun i like going around mm. i like that but when i have to go back to the stupid future bits it's like i don't want to be desmond desmond is a cock <laughs> people here are cocks the storyline is stupid i i get really so i get really annoyed because i know a bit about medieval history i think why are the fucking templars evil the only only problem they got is they got fucked over by the pope and the uh, french king that's it and somehow they've risen, risen up and now control half the world Yet again, a question of history has reared its ugly head and stumped me entirely. I've no idea. I don't know. <laughs> all my history, good. All of my history of that area, I I only really know about because of Assassin's Creed. So, Do you ever for me, it, all it's education. That, hopefully, we all know that DNA doesn't store intricate memories. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that, that actually stopped me buying the first game. I I was I pre-ordered it, and then when I saw. The, the cutscene, the first cutscene, and said, oh, we're going to put you in an animus where you can get the press memories of your past. It's like, no, that's so fucking stupid. <laughs> Bad science. And I, yeah, I, had to, I actually cancelled the pre-order and only bought the first game because it came with my graphics card. And I wouldn't <laughs> have played it at all if that hadn't happened. Um, which I'm glad about because I, I really like the first game. I think it's actually my favourite of the series. Really? Yeah, because I, I don't like Ezio either. He's a bit of a cop as well. <laughs> Alto is a a much deeper character, and I, I also it helps you set in medieval medieval times, which I like better than uh, Renaissance Italy. Getting a bit sick of the Renaissance, gotta yeah. say. <laughs> like, um, I, sorry, I want to. I want to only want to play uh, Revelations just to play the outer events. I don't want to play the, the, the Ezio bits again. I just want to play the outer events, which were good, and and hopefully have no more future stuff. Fight the future. <laughs> there isn't actually that much difference between a AAA game and a, a B game if you consider that something like, say, Halo Reach, we're, we're talking about these B games saying you're just doing the same thing over and over again. Well, what about in Halo when you're just doing the same thing over and over again? It really is. Most games, you're, you're just doing the same mechanic over and over again. I don't know where the separation lies. And we've, we've now kind of transcended the notion of flawed gems, and now we're talking about the difference between B and, and AAA games. Mm. Where, where does it change? Where does an Assassin's... I mean, Assassin's Creed is a AAA game. So well, it's obviously... Claw Gems are not relegated to just the Bs, but... Um, I think it, it has to go... I know I've been talking a lot recently, but I just... Being the Halo fan that I am, I feel like I have to kind of jump in and defend Reach. Um, the, the difference, really, for me, is that... When we're talking about Assassin's Creed, is it's the same mechanic over and over again. When we're talking about Halo... It's it's the same mechanic that you're using, but you're you're fighting against vastly different enemies in almost every level. And I th- I think it's the the difference between sorry how I would query the use of the term vastly at this point. Oh, okay, well fair enough. <laughs> but um, I mean the thing about Halo, um, 
is okay. Hang on, I'll jump off from your vastly thing. Uh, very... <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I have no idea said. if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna edit this or what. So I, I'm kind of trying to no. let it let it go and half just go with myself. So she said that too. <laughs> 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 Fair enough. I think there's a, but there's enough variety in Reach and in Halo in general to kind of allow it to be fresh all the time. Um, and I think maybe that's what that's maybe the only distinction is that there's enough to hold your interest. I mean, game design and and I mean play in general is all about learning new things and being able to then express what you've learned in. Um, you know, the next stage of whatever you're doing. I mean, that's also the reason we just get bored with something doing this over and over again, because we can't apply anything new. And so what Halo does, as the example you brought up, but, you know, countless other games do, is they subtly teach you a mechanic and then allow you to use it later on uh, in different situations, where something like Assassin's Creed gives you almost all of the tools right at the start, um, and then uh, expects you to apply them differently, but without direction, that can often kind of flounder. Actually, one that immediately springs to mind when you're talking about uh, open-world games and consi- especially flawed gems. This is kind of in the love-it-hate-it scenario. Uh, Saints Row 2. So many people that I know love just driving through uh, neighbourhoods with uh, a manure cart spraying houses with poo, and they think that's brilliant. Why is that the one mission anyone ever talks about with that game? (laughs) Because it's early on, and a lot of people already (laughs) abandon it later on. I've never um, played it, but that's the only thing I know about it. It's is the it, dividing point. It's the point where you just go, yeah, or, oh, for God's sake, and you yeah, carry on, or you stop. a veritable tipping point of Saints Row 2. But, but yeah, it's, it's ultimately, from what I hear of Saints Row 2, never really got all that into it, but there's a whole bunch of different things you can do in it. But from the sounds of it, it's, 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 it's a pretty kind of sloppy version of GTA, so. <laughs> I think uh, it's, it's that word sloppy, um, because my first experience with Metro 2033 was through Michael Abbott, um, Brainy Gamers blog. He wrote an mm. article on it, and he was saying how if, and I've actually got it from me, so I'll quote him, if we measure the game's value on its technical or face value design merits, Metro 2033 probably deserves its 77 Metacritic score. He meant mm. that in terms of not being an 80 or 90 type game, because it's it's kind of loose with its shooting, and the stealth is a bit limited, and stuff like that. And I think that's maybe the the difference at least from a critical standpoint between sort of tri- the AAA and the, and the B games, that mm. they're more comfortable because they're more polished, they're more accessible. Um, and if you're more willing to give them time, if they're not, if there's not such a big barrier, like with, say, with, with um, Alpha Protocol, there are so many barriers to entry that game in terms of the controls, in terms of uh, the combat, you know, really sloppily designed things. Um, and I think sometimes as critics, maybe even as gamers as well, we, we're too quick to fall uh, when we can counter like bad face value design. Mm. You want to talk about barriers for entry? Final Fantasy thirteen. <laughs> Twenty five hour long barrier for entry. <laughs> I just Final Fantasy in general, I think, is just a, a barrier to entry by itself. Mm. Um, <laughs> not because it's like the massive tutorial that you were, you know, talking about, or just because it has this kind of cloud around it of praise that you have to fight through to actually enjoy the game as it is. Final Fantasy VII, even, 
I load up fairly regularly and play through the first hour and then just go and play something else because I can't be bothered. It speaks to that part of me that wants to get perspective on the rest of on just gaming in general because it's you know it's such a part of gaming history but at the same time it's just not made for me at all Mm. and as as much as metacritic and you know critics agreeing on scoring will want you to think that certain games are games that you must play or games that are for everybody it's just it's not quite that simple and i think that's where we get the ideas for flawed gems from is that people will people will always like different things to others mm-hmm. and it's when the ones that you like aren't the ones that everybody else likes aren't the ones that have those mass appeal that's when you get what we necessarily call a flawed gem it mm-hmm. may not even be flawed it's just the flaw that we're looking for is not always a flaw in our eyes it's it's just that we see it as a flaw because we think well not everybody would like this that's a very very good point i mean a lot of these games that we've discussed are very very good games you know they we, we would happily play them and we all have played them and, and shoved you know many many hours of our lives into them but just because they haven't had the stellar sales of something like a, a halo game or a gears of war game it's seen as maybe we kind of have to make an excuse for it yeah maybe we have to say it, you know, it's a good game. We have to justify to ourselves and to other people by saying, look, seriously, it's a good game. It's a flawed gem. But, you know... What, or it's a guilty it's, pleasure or whatever. Yeah, well, oh. screw that. It's just a game that we enjoy playing. I've yeah. avoided using the term guilty pleasure the whole time because I don't think guilt should come into gaming, ultimately. You, well, or you, anything. You play really. the games you want. We'd, no one's forcing us, unless we're reviewing, no one's forcing us to play anything. And if we're playing it and enjoying it, why the hell should we feel guilty about it? And uh, the, the perfect example, I'm playing Doctor Unless Doctor. it's Hannah Montana, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, a perfect example, I'm playing through Dark Souls at the moment, which is mm-hmm. um, the spiritual successor to Demon Souls. Did you get past that wall yet you were stuck up against? Oh, yeah. And then I found another one. Oh, yeah. I think um, that might be the story of that game. Yeah, basically. And, and I'm that's praying I get a copy of that sent to review. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's the best way to justify taking 70 hours away from everything else. It's, <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, but um, yeah, you know, with Demon Souls, half the reviews didn't even review that game. Well, that's I'm exaggerating. But there were lots of reviews who didn't who refused to review that game because they found it too difficult. And when that's a flaw. When someone's saying that's a flaw of a game, you then go, well, no, that's just the Especially game. It's intentional. Hard. It's not that's for how you. It's presented. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a deliberate thing. And, and that's, you know, that's where we're getting to with games criticism, I think, where, you know, ultimately, some of these so-called flaws are really just differences of opinion. Mm. What do you think games critics are starting, instead of trying to set tastes and, and, and saying that, you know, this is something that people can enjoy and kind of have a wider scope, is that they're now trying to defend their tastes and trying to justify something that they enjoyed against an ever-increasing angry audience. So getting too personal, even though they're supposed to be professional. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I just think that if, you know, um, at least it's a possibility that you might be getting a trend of people injecting much more personality into their reviews or coverage in general against an audience that is actually extremely informed and has probably already made their decision about a game long before your review is published. So a notion of objectivity somewhat irrelevant for this audience? Pretty much. 
because, I mean, their own subjective view, you know, it's already cast in stone. They already know what they want the game to be, and if your review or your coverage isn't in line with that, then they're going to ignore it anyway. Looking at the Wikipedia art, I found a division sign called an obelisk. Yeah, I found that out the other day. <laughs> like the dash with the two dots on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just frantically googling. <laughs> Who's going to be the next to come up with an obscure symbol with a weird name? Oh, I like the um, the Hadong uh, uh, QI actually the Interrobang. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I actually don't like Interrobang at all. I think it's completely useless. There's, you just use a question mark and an exclamation mark after one another, and the best thing about that is you have different meanings depending on which way you put them. But what What's about it? Twitter? What about Save it? character. <laughs> if you can't reword your statement to make one character difference, then maybe you shouldn't be saying it at all. No, I, I, I'm very bad at that. I will not use, like, you... As instead of Y O U. Oh no, I I will I will regularly write a sentence that is 143 characters and I will yeah. reword it to make sure it's 140, I but just... still perfectly grammatically correct <laughs> with fully spelled words and everything. <laughs> you realise I'm going to edit little bits of this conversation into. Oh, I'm not saying anything. I'm not comfortable having in public. <laughs> and I'm going to make your voices all squeaky like Steve from Sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> There's one game that's been going through my mind for the past five minutes or so. Uh, this is a game that I don't consider to be flawed. I consider it to be a precious gem that was totally goddamn unappreciated in its time and actually superior to its much-vaunted original. Bioshock 2. Yep. Okay. Excellent. Really excellent game. excellent game and overlooked when it came out. People were, I don't know what people were saying. Too soon? Different team? I don't know. We don't want to go back to Rapture? Well, I think what it was is that Bioshock had a statement to make that was more than just the universe and the game. Mm-hmm. It was it was just a kind of a comment on gaming tropes about how people uh, just kind of blindly accept what a game tells them to do without consequence. A man and, chooses a slave obey. Well, exactly. <laughs> but a sequel to that seems like a bizarre joke on the ethos of mm. the original. People would have screamed cash in. Well, then did. Mm. And I think maybe that's why. I mean, again, honestly, I, I, mean, I have to disagree with you on the fact that I enjoyed the first game far more. Because... In first all game is fantastic. I'm not in any way diminishing oh, no, no. the awesomeness of the first game. Love it. But it's more that... I mean, I guess the reason I enjoyed Bioshock 1 wasn't necessarily because of the mechanics. It was because I was so enveloped in that universe. Mm. And in all honesty, I didn't finish that game for about a year and a half. Mm. I stopped playing it because I think Halo 3 came out. Is that about <laughs> the right time? And I, there was, it was another game at least that came out. And I just moved on to that and I played that instead. And eventually I was like, you know, I should really finish Bioshock. Everybody's talking about it. It's great. And I played up until just before the big revelation and put it down again. And then picked well, it up. I only picked yeah. the pad back up again. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I, I, I picked it up again a couple months later and then finally got to the, the big, you know, the kind of blood on the wall and everything. I'm trying to avoid spoilers because I know there's people who haven't played it who really should. But um, got to that point and realized 
what it was doing and appreciated it so much more for that. Mm. And then, rather ironically, got Bioshock 2 and didn't play it very far before putting it down and never picking it back up again. It Be- might have been a bit too soon to start immediately playing Bioshock 2. Maybe. Well, it wasn't immediate, but um, it was sooner than the previous kind of put-down pick-up, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, do, does Bioshock 2 have a similar kind of revelation in that? Uh, no, not, not, really. not in exactly the same. It's got, um, I think basically what really got me at Bioshock 2 is two things. One, the very, if you, if you're, if you're good and you're good to the little sisters, the, emo- the ending is very emotional and the, uh, hmm, <clears throat> <laughs> the, difference of, this? <laughs> the, the different perspective you get near the end of the game was really fascinating, and that made the whole Bioshock universe sort of fall into place. Uh, and then oh, the ending is fantastic as long as you're good. I don't know about the bad ending, um, but also Minerva's Den, the, um, the 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 constantly on sale. DLC for it is such a brilliant little mini Bioshock story. It's about four hours long and a really great, really emotional little story, which is it's almost like Bioshock 2.5 and highly recommended. Uh, if you haven't played Bioshock 2 all the way through to the end, it, it's it's worthwhile and the combat just gets better and better. The more you invest in the combat, uh, the more Adam you pick up, um, the, the, the smarter and trickier you can get at combat and it just becomes joy. Yeah. Basically, agree with everything you said about Bioshock. It's, I mean, I was very skeptical about two, mainly because um, they gave it to you know a different writer, and mm. I think you know, Ken Levine basically you know made Bioshock one what it was and yeah. uh, helped write the excellent prequel book, which I just finished. Which is that worth reading? Yes, definitely. It it's captured rapture. It makes it's made me want to play Bioshock one again, just because it meshes so well that I want to. Yes to play for again and rem- you know remember what happened again i think i liked one better for the sort of the world rather than the actual story that was in it even though it had a very good or well, very good twist um i think two had a better story you know a s- story arc and then releasing minerva's day which i actually think i prefer i thought that was an even better story than the second game i think mm. that is actually my sort of, probably that is my favorite of the bioshock of bioshock universe I think mainly because I like people going to be running to Xbox Live now. I think it helps if obviously you know stuff about computers because there is lots of uh, snippets of information you get. Like you get, a, you find a dead cat called Babbage, and <laughs> well, there's a dead cat called Schrödinger in the first one. Oh yeah, of course. Nice. Yes. Well, uh, or is he dead? Yeah. <laughs> he is potentially dead. <laughs> He's frozen. Uh, you never know. See, now you're I... making me want to pick it up again. <laughs> well, I think. Even if you don't play two, just play Minerva's Den. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's not necessarily connected with two. It's a, you're actually playing a different uh, character in two, in, in two, two uh, Minerva's Den. Yeah, and it's only about like four hours, as Alex said. So just, it doesn't spoil either of the first two yeah, games. Yeah, no. I, I think it totally speaks to what um, I think it was Will was saying about like a game could hang on one or two one. things, right? It can it could go either way to being like a flawed gem or something yeah. brilliant. And I feel like with with Bioshock. Um, uh, it was two moments. The moments when you see Rapture for the first time going down, and and mm. the in the I guess the the, 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 the diving bell. The diving bell. It's actually got another name, hasn't it? Yeah, I can't, the bathysphere. Yeah. Thank you. And and of course, moment we can't talk about. And <clears throat> that, those two moments on the on their own elevates that game from great to something very very special. Stella. Yeah. And it, it could have easily gone the other way if it just you know some a little bit had those wrong. bits. 
Yeah, if it didn't have those bits and then had the end boss, it would have been the <laughs> yeah. Without and that it could face regular bosses like that end boss, yeah. If you played a space marine. <laughs> okay. Space marine underwater. <laughs> right, so my final question was going to be, what sort of, what's the best frame of mind to take when approaching flawed gems? But from the sounds of it, it's so subjective that there's no possible answer for this one. Well, and is it worth playing them at all? was my original question, because there's so many like straightforward games that get everything right, and we can't afford, or we don't have enough time to play all of them. I think it's based on, A, expectation, and B, what the game has been advertised as, not necessarily by the marketing, but when you're approaching a flawed gem, it's not because you come at it from the marketing, because at that point you've no idea if it's a flawed gem. It's mm. when it comes out, it's no one advertises it as a flawed gem. <laughs> it's got some good bits, but it's also got some bad bits. It's more like after the fact, maybe a couple of years after launch even, and your friend says, you know what, the critics didn't really like this game, you probably haven't played it, but I really loved it. And or you come at it with that concept. Um, there's a game, uh, Silent Hill Shattered Memories, that I'm playing on the Wii right now, uh, that's been recommended to me by a couple of people, um both press and not. And That's got to be a flawed gem, because everyone that I've spoken to really loves the clever little things that game does, but I couldn't get through it. <laughs> I, exactly the same way. And the thing is, it gets spoken of in the sense of whenever someone talks about Heavy Rain, <laughs> um, someone says, oh, hey, you should play Silent Hill. It does a lot of things that Heavy Rain does better. And... I play it and I say, well, it does some things better, but actually I prefer Heavy Rain because it's a more cohesive whole. Mm. Um, and what presented. I've, exactly. And what I've been doing with Shout Silent Hill is playing, kind of doing a bit of exploring, kind of progressing a little bit in the story, appreciating it for what it is, but just getting weary of it, like we were saying before, and going back to other experiences that can be mm. more immediate. Did you try um, uh, Homecoming on the 360 or PS3? I did not, no. That was great. I mean, it's not like brilliant, but uh, it's like a more solid version of what Alan Wake was trying to be. Um, in that it's, it's a bit more combat-focused than most of the Silent Hill games. Your dude's an ex-Marine, so he knows how to fire a gun. You feel a bit more confident in yourself, but it's also scary as hell in the Silent Hill way. And there's some really great puzzles in there that have you scratching your head and also terrified to make the wrong answer. There's a bit where you've got to put your hand into a fleshy hole, and if you've gotten <laughs> the wrong hole, terrible things happen. <laughs> and it had me and my wife working out this puzzle and going, are you sure? <laughs> but this is, um, like, what does it do wrong? That's the point. Because this seems to me like the kind of the genesis of a flawed gem recommendation. It's it's maybe you feel a bit too confident. Like, it's because you're just slogging from one combat scenario to the next. You never find yourself just going, oh, fuck it, I can't survive this one, and just barreling down the street uh, like you did in the earlier Silent Hill games because you're just scared more. My advice with approaching a flawed gem is actually to avoid preconceptions. Mm-hmm. Don't don't have expectations um, because generally you'll meet you'll you'll find that the game meets them. Um, you'll go looking for them. Um, mm. And the other thing is, I think like just listening to you know, was saying I, I'm going from you know I, I spend a few hours with it and then I want to go play another game. That's the problem. We have so much choice now. Mm. I think mm. that's the other advice I'd give is just don't fall victim to the lure of other games, you know, give give games a bit more of a chance. For example, like, I've, I've, I've heard countless people say I've given up on the first two hours of Deadly Premonition, but 
Mm. I, I, I suspect the grid in that game is not in those first two hours. Um, similar, you know, Demon Souls, you could easily give up on it on the first two hours and you'll miss out on, a, on something brilliant, or it might not be for you, but you won't find out unless you give it a bit more time. Yeah. Oh, oh indeed. Far Cry 2. True. <laughs> <laughs> it also helps if you actually are approaching it years after the fact. Um, if it is a, indeed a budget title, that you don't have this sense of, oh, I've just paid 40 quid for you, now impress me. If you've only paid 5 quid for it, it's almost like you're getting a bonus game. And the way I see it at the moment, if, if a 5 quid game entertains me for 5 hours, that's a huge bargain. It's when you spend 40 quid on a game which people are sort of up and down about. Like, for example, when I first played Dragon Age, it was fresh after reading the Edge review, which ripped into it. I was just staring at all of these things that Edge had made note of and going, you're right, the, the characters are ugly. It doesn't look like uh, Mass Effect. It doesn't control in any way as polished as Mass Effect. The hands, the hands are ugly. Their weapons float above their backs, for God's sake. And it wasn't until ages later, maybe a year, when I started playing it for a little bit longer and got into the dialogue and the choices and stuff. And it's like, you know what, this game's not all that bad at all. But um, yeah, yeah. it's this, this sense of, of when you buy a game first off and everyone's talking about it that you kind of feel this peer pressure to get into it and if it doesn't impress you you just your reactions are maybe a bit more impassioned a bit more hot-headed and I am very guilty of that so yeah from the sounds of it the best way to approach this is um, for, for, you know with the benefit of time the benefit of budget and uh, I mean ultimately the, the irony is that if everyone did this then all of these studios who are making these slightly flawed games would flop because no one would be buying their games straight <laughs> off there'd be zero sales so everyone listening some of you buy it new the rest of you, work it out between you, okay? Uh, the rest of you, just wait for a bit, and, and we'll discuss it later. Okay, that will be all from Gonzo this week. That is exactly the tone I wanted to strike. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you it's been good. Next week, I'm going to be back with James Batchelor and Gary Blower of Game Burst for the second part of the Bond specials, the films of Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton. And be sure to download the first episode of Tony and Leon Cox's new show, Canem Rince, which should be up already and discusses God of War 3 in what I would imagine to be great depth. Uh, gentlemen, I think it's that time. Pimp your shows. Uh, can we start with uh, Willith, actually? I want to hear about how he would describe Crunch Time. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a position of honour. Um, Crunch, <laughs> Crunch Time is a documentary about student game development. Um, there's a competition that is run in Dundee by the University of Abertay every year uh, called Dare to be Digital. And uh, we went up and filmed them uh, for the, basically the entirety of the competition, as much as we could get, and focused on, on their game design process from pretty much when they had nothing to actually coming up with a game prototype and then going to the BAFTA Awards. Um, and it was just immensely exciting to see. I mean, there's 15 teams of these guys all making a game in it's about 10 weeks. It's just the most intensive game design process I can imagine. It was fantastic to see. And, I mean, almost everybody came up with a working game at the end. It was just massively impressive. Um, and uh, you can watch it all on 4OD if you're in the UK. And if you're in... Other territories watch this space, I suppose. I don't really know what's going on with distribution, but we're trying to get it out to more uh, territories at the moment. So, yeah, if you're in the UK, search Crunch Time on 4OD and elsewhere. Keep an eye on my Twitter feed, I guess. Which is? Uh, W-I-L-L-E-T-H is Willith, and I spell it because people seem to spell it with an I instead of an E for some reason. Okay. Synet. Yes, um, I uh, I have uh, resurrected 
uh, my podcast, Speaker Patient, or at least Rise from your grave. <laughs> <laughs> After the hiatus that no one actually planned, it's back. Um, at least it will be worth the time this uh, show goes up. And you can find it at BeagerPotion.com. Our returning episode is about Gears of War 3 and um, whether critics are too lenient on bad stories in video games. Um, Somewhat appropriate. Yes. Um, otherwise, you can find me um, on Twitter, like well, um, at um, Shoinan, S-H-O-I-N-A-N. Um, and I have a couple of articles going up on G4 soon, so look out for those. Leg. All right, um, I do the Ninja Fat Pigeon podcast, which, uh, a bit like Bigger Potion, has not been on the air for quite a long time, um, mainly because no one's been playing video games over the summer, or well, not ones we're going to talk about. So I think that will be back probably sometime this year. But seeing as Dan sorts that out, I just turn up and talk. I don't <laughs> leave that all to him. And I've also started doing, the, you know, involved in the Digital Cowboys Community Cast, which, uh, the third episode is coming out or will be out, depending on when this is up. This is, uh, should be up at some point, Wednesday or Thursday this week. Uh, probably up around the time this is up. Grace! <laughs> gotta say, so, <laughs> so proud of you guys for doing this, uh, community cast. I don't know how long it's gonna last. I would love it to just keep going and going and going. Uh, I, I just wanna see you guys flourish because just this notion that in, in our absence, you sort of threw together a, a reserve section, like, you know, yeah, got all the guys off the bench and said, threw it together and the first couple of shows really great to listen to and uh, yeah gave me a warm fuzzy feeling in my long long hiatus and Jesus Christ I've felt so good tonight doing podcasting again for the first time in so long it's in my blood now I can't get it out so there you go um, thanks for that um, <laughs> I'd say as an outsider I, I absolutely agree is this kind of the transition from the, the you know DC feed to just kind of the community cast has just been Fantastic. Thank you. Too much praise. <laughs> yeah. His head swelling. Yeah, and I'm... his leg. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and, uh, oh yeah, and, uh, Ninja Fat Pigeons, are they still members of UGN? Um, yes, we are. A wonderful network of wonderful people, and I will continuously pimp you guys. And, uh, I'm on Twitter, it's Leg of Time, uh, Lima Echo Golf, Oscar Foxtrot, Tango <laughs> India Mike Echo. Thanks, <laughs> Mike, <laughs> do you want to pimp uh, Joypod and the various other things you do? <laughs> no, I should I should mention Joypod, you know, because we've been doing it for far too long now. Uh, just on our first birthday with Spong, it was lovely. It's about video games, and it's me and David Turner and Sean Bell, three twats, uh, <laughs> talking about games, ostensibly. Um, if you want something a bit more cardboard-based, I also... Present, produce, and generally whore about on the Little Metal Dog Show, the world's finest uh, board games interviews podcast, and also splendid little site at littlemetaldog.com, which is very good, Um, if I say so myself. Did you just have a tiny little seizure? (laughs) I just had a very small stroke. Of your your little metal dog. Of my little... Not even going there. You do realise that there's no other context where people say if you want something that's a little bit more cardboard based. Aside <laughs> <laughs> from if you work in a paper mill, I don't know. Yeah, this is true. Um, but yeah, Little Mel Dog is good and uh, going to be doing some shows live from Germany, hopefully, uh, in a couple of weeks, which will be ridiculous. Uh, at the world's biggest gaming convention, 200,000 people in four days. Ouch. 
Uh, and if you want us on Twitter, it's Idle Michael. That's I for India, D for Del. No, I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> So that's all for now, but there are big things happening with Gonzo in the next few weeks. Things that I was hinting at earlier this year and now look like they're finally falling into place. So stay tuned, and please leave me a review on iTunes if you would like Gonzo to flourish. I've been Alex Shaw, and for want of a decent equivalent to Happy Trails, I'm going to need a sign-off. You've been listening to Gonzo. Love, hate, but most of all, think. This is Alex Shaw from Digital Cowboys. And this is Tony Atkins from Digital Cowboys. Tony, do you have any time at all, like free time, spare time? Never. Never? No, me neither. Well, what happens if you want to listen to a podcast but you've only got half an hour? Well, Alex, I listen to Game Burst because it's a game podcast in only half an hour. Genius! Genius!